In the ancient Greek myth, Narcissus is a young man widely known for his beauty. One day, while walking in the woods, a nymph named Echo notices him. Struck by his beauty, she swiftly falls in love with him and begins following him around. Eventually, the enamored Echo discloses her feelings to Narcissus, who swiftly rejects her. Crestfallen, she retreats and spends the rest of her life but a faint Echo. Nemesis, the goddess of revenge, is sympathetic to the adoring Echo and is therefore enraged at Narcissus. So she lures him to a pool where she draws his attention to his own reflection in the water. Thinking that it is another creature, Narcissus falls in love with the image of himself. Once he discovers that he'll never be able to draw closer to that face in the pool, Narcissus dies from unfulfilled self-love. His self-centeredness killed him. Or if you'd prefer a more light-hearted way to make the point about self-centeredness, there's a line from the movie Groucho Marx. After going on and on about himself to a young lady, Groucho stops and says, that's enough about me, let's talk about you. What do you think about me? See, we all know what it's like to be around self-absorbed people. Those who think they're what's most important, most loved, they think the world revolves around them. They believe they have all the answers or that everyone desert or owes them an answer when they have any questions. But the reality is that on some level, every one of us are that way. See, we can't help but experience the world self-centeredly from our own point of view, from where we stand. Author David Foster Wallace once noticed this and, and spoke of this tendency in a famous convocation speech. He said, A huge percentage of the stuff that I tend to be automatically certain of is, it turns out, totally wrong and diluted. Here's one example of something I tend to be automatically certain of. Everything in my own immediate experience supports my deep belief that I am the absolute center of the universe, the realest, most vivid, and important person in all of existence. He continues, We rarely talk about this sort of natural self-centeredness because it's so repulsive, but it's pretty much the same for all of us deep down. The first 37 chapters of Job, up to today's text, recount the tragedy of Job losing his home, his livestock, his family and friends. And then Job's friends show up and they're acting as selfish, careless, insensitive jerks focused on justifying themselves and their view instead of comforting Job in his time of trial. So they accuse Job. They accuse his, accuse his children of doing wrong and so they must deserve God's judgment and punishment even though there is no evidence of that in the entire story. And while Job refuses to curse God throughout this entire time, he does demand that God give him an answer for all that has happened to him. Job sees himself as one who is owed an answer even from God, especially for his current suffering. See, Job can't help but see the world revolving around him and his experience. And so like Narcissus, his focus was entirely on himself and his situation. And this was nearly his demise. See, Job wanted God to explain why all this was happening to a righteous man of faith like him. 
And so Job shouts out at God the question, why? Why is this happening to me? Why have you allowed this? Why, why are all these bad things happening to me when all I do is praise you and make the right sacrifices and do everything that I think that you want? And so today's text, beginning at Job 38, is the beginning of God's response to Job. It begins ominously. The Lord spoke to Job. The Lord answered out of the whirlwind, out of the storm. I warn you, God, the answer God gave is not the answer Job wanted. And it's not the answer we want in the face of struggle and tragedy either. See, especially not when despite our righteousness in faith through Christ or our actions of following God, we still suffer. We still go through those difficult times. See, God frequently doesn't give us a clear answer. God doesn't give in to defending himself against accusations. He doesn't need to. God doesn't blame Job like Job's friends for what's happening. Instead, God points out and challenges, it, challenges Job's and our self-centered view of the world. See, God asks Job in today's passage, where were you? When I created all things and put them in their place. Where were you when I set the boundaries for the ocean and laid the foundations of the earth? Where were you when I ordered all the days and numbered them? Where were you, Job, if if you know? Gird yourself like a man. Stand up and answer me. And Job remains silent. His only response to God in this passage is to say, I'm sorry, I didn't know what I was talking about. He comes to realize his arrogance that he believed that he was due this answer from God. See, when we struggle in the uncertainty of tragedies we can't understand, it may be uncomfortable, but God invites us to let go of our self-centeredness and to rest in him. In today's passage, inanimate nature praises and listens to God. See, this passage focuses on God's relationship to everything, even the things we don't notice. God holds it all together and cares for it. And then immediately after this passage, God's response moves on to animate nature, to the animals, and then finally to remind us of the smallness of mankind. It challenges our view of man as the center of the universe. It reminds us that from the beginning, God has been the one who commands, oversees, and cares for all of creation. Despite our experience, we are not the center of the universe. The world does not revolve around us, but is held together and sustained by God. Our lives revolve around his purpose as he draws us into his love, his plan, and his truth, just as he revealed his truth to the disciples in today's gospel lesson. See, this is exactly what we confess each time we say the first article of the Apostles' Creed, which says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And then Luther's small catechism invites us to ask the question, what does this mean? What does it mean for us to confess that we believe that God, the Father Almighty, created heaven and earth? It means that I believe that God has made me and all creatures, that he has given me my body and soul, eyes, ears, and all my members, my reason and all my senses, and still takes care of them. He also gives me clothing and shoes, food and drink, house and home, wife, children, land, animals, and all that I have. He richly and daily provides me with all that I need to support this body and life. He defends me against all dangers and guards and protects me from all evil. And all of this he does only out of fatherly, divine goodness and mercy, 
without any merit or worthiness in me. And for all of this, it is my duty to thank and praise, serve and obey him. This is most certainly true. When we're struggling through the tragedies and difficulties in life, we are quick to believe it's worse for others than it is for, or worse for us than it is for others, and that no one understands. We believe our situation is unique and that no one knows what it's like, that we're the only ones who have truly suffered. This is because we're prone to view the world self-centeredly. See, like Job at the beginning of the story, and like narcissists in the myth, we are focused entirely on ourselves and our situation. Sometimes it can feel like no one cares or no one understands. And while God does not always give us the answer we want, just as Job didn't get the answers he wanted from God, what the book of Job, what the story of Job gives us is a view of the greatness of God who is over all things, even when we don't understand or when we don't get the answers we want. See, God rarely gives us a clear answer to the question of why. Truthfully, I don't think we're ready for the answer. We're not ready to face the truth of our self-centeredness, of our neediness, or of the brokenness of the world and the fact that sometimes unjust things happen to good people. But God works through those things for our eternal good. See, what God does in the midst of our questions and our sufferings is come out with us into the storm. He meets us in the storms of life with truth and grace. Just as he met Job with truth and grace, answering out of the whirlwind, out of the storm. Just as the disciples in today's gospel thought that Jesus didn't care, that he didn't know what was happening, and so they were terrified. But he did know. He was right there with them, watching over them, caring for them, bringing his truth and his grace into the midst of the storm. See, God invites us to look away from ourselves and our situation and look to him. Then we see that every hope and longing finds its yes in Christ. Every promise of God finds its yes in Jesus Christ. So when we ask why, the answer God gives in the midst of our struggles, our sufferings, our pain, and the trials is a who. He points us to Christ. The God who has power over the wind and waves, over demons, and even over death itself. He who himself has suffered was abandoned and forsaken on our behalf so that he might save, redeem, and restore that which has been lost, broken, and hurt. See, the beauty of the Christian story and the Christian God is that he does not dismiss our suffering and pain. He doesn't ignore it. He doesn't say it's not really that bad. But he doesn't give us an empty platitude either that doesn't make us feel better. Instead, God's response to our pain and suffering was to enter into our state, become one of us through the virgin birth. God, who laid the foundations of the world, entered into his very own creation and suffered the worst it had to offer, insults and injury, poverty and false accusations, torture and death for you, to bring you deliverance. See, in the struggle, when we ask, God, are you there in the midst of my suffering? Are you there when everything is falling apart? Are you there when nothing is okay? Are you there when I'm hurting? God, do you even see it? God, are you there? His answer is a resounding yes. And through my son, Jesus Christ, I will set it right. I have redeemed your pain and your suffering. 
I am always with you, no matter where you find yourself. See, I've already come here to be with you, and I will never leave you or forsake you. Amen.